we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me this morning to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14. And we'll begin reading in verse number 22 of Matthew 14. Our theme that we've taken for this year, just one word, follow. And we've been with the disciples and with the Lord Jesus, most importantly, learning what it is to follow Christ. Jesus' call was a very simple one, follow me. And you don't have to do a lot to follow someone. You just have to keep your eyes on them and stay with them. And oftentimes we complicate the Christian life. And it really can be quite simple. If we'll just follow Jesus, if we'll just obey him, and he will direct us and he will lead us. And along the way, he is teaching many lessons to these disciples. And he has another lesson for them here in Matthew 14. And this is the second storm that the disciples are going to encounter uh, here in this verse. They have already in Matthew 8 encountered a storm. In that storm, he was with them on the boat asleep. And uh, they... uh, awakened him and said, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus stood forth and he spoke to the winds and waves and there was calm. This storm, unlike that storm, Jesus is not with them. He is away from them. And we're going to learn many lessons through it along with the disciples. So let's begin reading here in Matthew 14 and verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and brought him that they might, and besought him rather that they might only touch the hem of his garment. 
and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. I want you to notice the statement that the Lord Jesus Christ makes to his disciples in verse number 27. As he approached them on the stormy sea, the Bible said, he said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. I want to preach to you from that phrase, that statement that Christ made, three simple words, be not afraid. Storms often frighten us. The clap of thunder, the sound of the wind uh, often frightens us. And just this week as, I, as we prayed for the families in Mississippi who experienced that powerful storm, those storms can frighten us. And these were brave, rugged fishermen who had endured many storms on the Sea of Galilee But this was no ordinary storm. It was an unusual storm. And unlike the one they had just previously encountered, Jesus was not with them. So they were filled with fear. When he did come to them, they immediately did not recognize him. They couldn't see in the darkness and through the wind and and, uh, through the rain. All they could make out was his form. Perhaps we... We imagine him wearing a white robe of some type or a garment that could be seen in the darkness. And they thought a ghost had come to them. So on top of the storm, some spirit had appeared. And they were afraid, filled with fear. We live in a world that's filled with fear. Fear over the climate. Fear over disease, fear over division and hatred and strife and what some election may bring to us, fear over the economic conditions or the insecure uh, or unstable condition of so many in our world. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, be not afraid. Warren Wearsby points out that there are two types of storms that comes to God's people. There are storms of correction. That storm of correction is to, to cause us to get right or get back on the right course. Jonah was in such a storm, wasn't he? God said, arise and go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah said, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go down to Tarshish. So he got on board the boat, and he got out in the boat, and the storm came. And the sailors had never seen a storm like that. And they said, what in the world are we going to do? They knew this storm was not just some usual storm. This was a, a divine storm. And in their superstition, they were trying to figure out how to appease God not the true and the living God, but Jonah made known to them the true and the living God. And he said, if you'll throw me overboard, the storm will stop. And they threw him overboard. And as God had prepared the storm, God had prepared a fish, a whale that swallowed him up. Jonah spent three days in the belly of the whale. He cried out to God in the belly of the whale, repented of his disobedience, and the whale spit him out. 
on shore, we imagine, are close to it, right? Jonah, having spent three days in the belly of the whale, decided he was going to obey God. And he went to Nineveh and he preached. And there was a great salvation that was wrought there. Well, that was a storm of correction. But then there are storms of perfection. What are those storms designed to do? Well, a storm of correction is there because you did the wrong thing. The storm of perfection is a storm designed not to correct you for doing the wrong thing, but to teach you more things. That's the kind of storm these disciples are in, a storm of perfection. It is a time when God helps us grow in our faith to him. Well, the disciples were in obedience to Christ. They were sailing in accordance to his command, and the storm came to him, or to them rather, as they were in his will. You see, Jesus, the Bible tells us in verse 22, constrained the disciples. Would you look at that? He constrained the disciples to get into the ship. He, 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 he commanded them in, in such a way that he directed and guided them to get into the boat. We imagine perhaps there was some protest apparent, but the Lord is commanding them to get in. And then after he had sent them away to go to the other side of Galilee, the Bible says that he sent the multitudes away. He sent the multitudes away. Now, this is on the e or the this is immediately following rather uh, this miracle that we're going to read about in just a moment. This storm and the sending away is immediately following Jesus feeding the five thousand. And in John chapter six, speaking of this moment, the Bible said that Jesus perceived. In John 6 and verse 15, Jesus perceived that they, that is the multitude that he had just fed, would come and take him by force to make him a king. Well, when he perceived that, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Jesus sent this multitude away. They wanted to make him king. However, Jesus knew that the very next day, John chapter 6 uh, tells us this, John 6 and verse 66, that from that time forward, many would walk away from him. They would forsake him. You see, there is a group of people who were, are really interested in following Jesus as long as there is bread and fish. And as long as there is bread and fish, they will have him to be their king. But when they find out that his kingdom is not made up of bread and fish and material things, but that in his kingdom he delivers us from the bondage of sin. You see, he did not come to deliver the Jews from Roman oppression. He came to deliver all of humanity from the oppressor, Satan, from the bondage of sin, from an eternity in hell. Jesus came to deliver us. And so he was not looking for a crown at this moment. He is looking for a cross. That's the reason he came. And John Phillips says the Lord needed to commune with the one, speaking of his father, in whose likeness he, Christ, was. He needed to be alone with the one 
whose will he had come to do on earth. The time of the crown had come and gone. It would not return for some 2,000 years. And make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he will establish his rule and dominion over this earth. But he didn't come to wear the crown. He came to die on the cross. And so he went up into the mountain to pray. To pray, to submit as he prayed in Gethsemane, not my will but thine be done. For strength to endure the turning away of the crowd, he prayed also for his disciples who were down in the stormy sea trying to get across that sea as he had commanded them as they were facing the winds and the waves that were contrary. And we're reminded in this picture of how Christ intercedes for us. The Bible said that we have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And the Bible tells me that he is seated today at the right hand of the throne of the Father where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. You see, while I'm down here on the stormy sea, the one who bore the brunt of the storm for me, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for my sin, who rose again the third day, who now is in the presence of the Father, interceding for me. Now at this moment, he can see through the storms of my life. He sees me on this troubled sea and he's praying for me and he's praying for you. What a wonderful picture we have in Matthew chapter 14 of the intercessory ministry of Christ for his saints. But there's a point in this storm. There's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. And we're going to get to that. But as the disciples go through this storm, and as we go through the storms of life, we note some things that we learn from them this morning. I hope you'll write them down. First of all, we notice the fear that we experience. The fear that we experience. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus can identify with these disciples. I want you to see again in verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. They're heading in a certain direction. The Lord Jesus has told them exactly where to go, but they can't get there. The wind is contrary. The waves are beating upon them. The rain is is beating down on them. And they're filled with fear. Notice in verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. They said, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them saying, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. You see, the disciples had been blown off course by the storm. They were stranded in the middle of the lake, unable to get to their destination. By the way, have you ever been there? You thought, hey, I know where we're heading. I I know where this place, this thing is going, only to find difficulty and obstacles and winds and currents that you never expected, and they're taking you in a direction you never dreamed that you would go, and yet... 
in the midst of the storm, God is near. And he's near to encourage us and strengthen us in our fear. We notice this. They're filled with fear. They think this storm, this this raging sea is about to swallow them up. It's about to take them under. And in that moment, Jesus came to them. In the fourth watch of the night, there were different watches or sections of time in the Jewish clock. The fourth watch of the night began at 3 a.m. until 6 a.m. So there's darkness on the sea, the darkest, coldest time of the night, but Jesus came to them. Maybe you think you're experiencing the darkest period of your life. I want you to know that Jesus can see you and that Jesus cares and he is near. The fourth watch of the night, he came walking to them on the sea. John Phillips tells us that Jesus walked that night about three and a half miles out onto the sea. This wasn't a short trip he took across the Sea of Galilee. Three and a half miles in the wind, in the rain, in the darkness, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walked to his disciples. He came to them. What do we learn from this? We learn this, number one, we're never beyond the Lord's eye. He can see us. The Bible tells us that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. We're never beyond his eye, and we are never beyond his reach. He can get to us. Sometimes we're in the troubled seas of life, and we think we're separated from God. We have no hope. How can anybody help us? There's no way to deal with these circumstances, and I want you to know that Jesus Christ is able to override your circumstances, that Jesus Christ can tread upon your circumstances, and he can get to you. Job chapter 9 and verse number 8, when Job was speaking of God's power, he stated this uh, concerning the Lord. He said, he alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. Oh, Job, Job knew about Jesus walking on the water before Peter did. He said, we serve a God who can walk on water who can override and stand superior above the circumstances and trials of our lives. Jesus came to them. I'm glad he's come to us. But not only did Jesus come to them, he comforted them. Verse 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now here they are between three in the morning and six in the morning before the sun rose on this stormy sea thinking they're going under. And all of a sudden, they see in the distance a form, a visage. They can't make it out clearly. In fact, by the time he gets near to them where they can begin to talk to him, Peter's not even sure it's the Lord unless he had heard his voice. So they can't see him but they can't hear him. And what does he say in the midst of their fear? He speaks, be of good cheer. You see, though they cannot see him and make him out clearly, they know that voice. And when they hear him speak, they're encouraged. By the way, many of you have gone through storms 
And the only encouragement you've had is what God has said to you in the midst of them. I'm so glad and so thankful that I have a book of promises, a book of truth, a light to guide me in the darkness, an anchor to hold me steadfast in the stormy sea, in the word of God. And Jesus speaks to us. And he encourages us, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. You see, our comfort comes from hearing his voice and knowing that he is present. What did Jesus promise his disciples? Well, he said to them, he says, I'm going away, but let not your heart be troubled. He said, I'm going away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself. And before he left them, this was his promise, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. His presence is with us. His eye is on us. He is near, and we can be comforted in this age in which we live or through the trials that we experience because he says to us, it is I. It is I. I am, literally, is what he said. The I am who revealed himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses. The great I am is making himself known here. He is with us. Well, that leads us to a second thing. Not only do we see the fear we experience, but we, we see, secondly, the faith we exercise. Look, if you would, at verse 28. The fearful disciples have heard the voice of Christ and Peter responds in verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. Now, there are some questions that some commentators have about Peter's motive. I think this was Peter's motive. I want to get to Jesus. That's a good motive to have, by the way. I want to get to Jesus. The safest place is not in the boat. The safest place is with Jesus. And I think Peter's desire here is just simply to get to Jesus. And so he said, Lord, if it be thou, I can't see you. I hear your voice. I'm trusting you. Uh, if it's you, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. So what do we find here? We find that Peter is going to exercise his faith. First of all, we see that he stepped out in faith. He stepped out in faith. The Bible says in verse 30, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. You know, at that moment, Peter wasn't trusting the science, was he? He was trusting the Savior. What would the science tell us? You're going down, Peter. You get out of this boat, you're going under. That's what the science would tell us. But the Savior said, come. You see, here Peter must exercise faith, so he steps out. And what does it mean to exercise faith? Well, Hebrews has a definition for us. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Maybe you want to write that down or maybe you want to turn there. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 2. Here's the definition 
It's just three words, looking unto Jesus. You see, here's what Peter did. (laughs) I don't think he jumped out of that boat. I think he cautiously stepped out of it. He was kind of feeling his way along. And as he was stepping out, his eyes were fixed on Jesus. I imagine he kept talking to him. Lord, are you still there? Yes, here I am, Peter. Come. I'm here, Peter. Step out of the boat, Peter. Lord, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. And he kept his eyes on Jesus. And when he stepped out, he began to do what Jesus was doing, walking on the water. What an amazing thing. You see, if we're going to live by faith, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. John Phillips said, Peter triumphed over the circumstances of his life. Step by step, he was walking the life of faith, walking in implicit moment-by-moment obedience, his eyes fixed steadfastly on the master. Peter was doing what Jesus was doing. He was doing the impossible. Peter's faith in Christ enabled the power and authority of Christ over every circumstance to operate in his life. Peter's faith was the switch that turned on the power in his life. It was faith. You see, we deal with storms, don't we? We deal with adverse winds. We deal with waves that we think threaten to just swallow us up and take us under. But we must recognize that our Savior is near, that he has promised never to leave us nor forsake us, that his promises are true. And no matter the circumstances and no matter the conditions that we find ourselves in, Jesus is faithful. And so we look to him, not once, but every step. With our eyes fixed on him, we walk to him. No matter how heavy the waves may be that crash against us, no matter how forceful the winds may be that blow in our faces, we must keep our eyes on Jesus as we walk through the trials of our lives, as we walk through these difficult days in which we live, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Because not only do we see that Peter stepped out in faith, but then we read something that surprises us, but Peter sank down in fear. Fear overtakes him while he's exercising his faith. By the way, let me just say this to you. Anytime you take a step of faith, it will always be accompanied with fear. Dr. Spencer is here with us this morning. I'm reminded of the time 15 years ago when I uh, learned of this need at Tabernacle Baptist Church that there was a need for a pastor. And I talked with Dr. Spencer and we began to go through the process where the church eventually called me to be the pastor of this church. It was a big step of faith. It was one that excited me and one that scared me. 
throughout the process, there were days when I was very confident that this is where I was going to be. And then there were other days when I thought, it's not going to happen. There were days when I thought, I'm ready for this job. <laughs> hmm. There were many days when I knew I had no idea what I was getting myself into. You see, every step of faith you take will always be accompanied with fear. And so while we, had, we, 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 are, uh, we have nothing critical to say of Peter here because he stepped out in faith. But we're now we're watching him sink in fear. Look in verse 30. Let's find out why he sank. It's the same reason we often sink. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. What happened to him? He took his eyes off Jesus. I mean, a gust of wind just blew by, you know. Maybe he saw something fly out of the boat. A gust of wind caught him. And then he started looking around. He started noticing how high those waves were. He probably looked back at the boat and saw those disciples just reeling in the, in the storm. He took his eyes off Jesus and beginning to sink, verse 30, he started going down. You know, oftentimes we get anxious, we get frustrated, we, we're confused, we're afraid. And we begin to question, why, why would God allow these things to happen to us? Why would, he, why would he allow us to endure these trials and difficulties? And if, if we're not careful in these moments, we'll lose sight of Christ and his power. We'll sink down into the depths of our fears. You see, we have a tendency not to dwell on the, the blessings or the opportunities before us or the power of Christ, but we have a, a tendency just to look at the problems, right? And, and we consider the problems without contemplating his power. And we start looking at circumstances and we take our eyes off the Lord. And in those moments, we begin to sink down. Well, in that moment when Peter is sinking down, he did the right thing. Look, if you would, please, here in verse 30. And he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. That's the right thing to do. You find yourself there? Sinking down in the depths, sinking in your fear, sinking in the midst of your difficulty. Lord, save me. And I've got some news, good news for you. Verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? You see, that strong and mighty hand that delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of Pharaoh, that strong and mighty arm that delivered them is the same strong hand that reached forward and caught a sinking disciple as he was going down into the depths. And I want to say to you, if you belong to Jesus, he will not lose you. Not one of his children have, have sunk beneath the depths. He will catch us if we'll cry out to him in the midst of our fear. Lord, save me. 
So you think about the storm. What did the storm teach them? Well, the storm taught them to exercise faith. You see, oftentimes when things are going smooth, as James Montgomery Boyce writes, we genuinely trust Jesus for our salvation as true Christians. But he says this, our faith can be somewhat distant, abstract, or even peripheral. We trust Jesus, true enough, but if the truth be told, we also trust ourselves and our abilities. You know, we, we say, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I've trusted Christ as my Savior, but I've got to tackle this thing and this situation on my own. That kind of faith, that's what he's talking about. He said, we may even trust ourselves more than we trust Jesus. I think at times we're all guilty of that, aren't we? He says, let trouble come, and suddenly we're confronted with our own lack of ability and weakness. You see, in comparison to the storm, those guys had nothing that they could do, and they knew it. That's the moment when we're driven to trust him. We have nowhere else to turn, he says. It is in such times as these that faith in Jesus grows strong. Remember now, we're talking about a faith that we exercise. How do you make that muscle stronger? You exercise it. You put it under stress and you break it down and you allow it to heal. And when it heals, it's stronger. You see, this storm is a storm that God is using to teach his children. Now we come to the last part, and that is this, the fellowship we enjoy. And here is the point of the storm. Look in verse 32. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. That's the point. What is Christ doing through the storm? He's teaching them they can overcome their fear in faith and that their faith is based on who he is. He is revealing to them time and time and time again who he is. He's not the son of a Jewish carpenter. He is the son of God. He is the one who spoke the universe into existence, who formed man from the dust of the ground, who breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and made him a living soul. He is the God who called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He is the God who said to Moses, I am the great I am. He is the God who delivered his people from the bondage of Egypt. He is the God who loved this world and sent his son to die on the cross to save you and I from an eternity in hell. That's who he is. He's the God that healed those who had disease and delivered those who were possessed by demons. He is the God who raised the dead. He is the son of God, the savior of the world. And when the storm was over and he entered into the boat, they fell on their faces and they worshiped him. 
Instead of a truth, thou art the son of God. You see, in our cheap religious form of modern day worship, we have a generation who believes that worship is a concert. Worship is a response to the revelation of God that physically moves us to our knees in reverence and awe of our God. Singing may be a part of our worship, but it is in no way the definition of our worship. Our worship is an expression of our devotion, our recognition of who he is. He is the son of God. They said, of a truth, thou art the son. You see, in their worship, they experienced his presence. He came with them into the boat. They enjoyed his peace. The wind ceased. They had witnessed his power. He stopped the storm. And they recognized his person. That's what a worship service is. Isaiah said, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he said, I said, woe is me, I'm undone for I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, when we see God for who he is, we'll begin to see us for who we are. And all we can do in his presence is bow and recognize him. Job said, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself. Well, that doesn't sound like 2023 pop psychology, does it? I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You see, the disciples worshiped him. Have you worshiped him? Have you lost your awe of him? Maybe part of the storm that you're in is designed to point you back to who he is. To require you to get off the couch and to exercise your faith muscles. Well, notice what happens. They worshiped him and then they worked with him. Look at verse 34. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Why did Jesus go to the other side? Because there were more people who needed him there. And when those disciples arrived on the other side with him, what did they have a firmer conviction about? Who he was and what he could do. And they got to work with him with a newfound strength, a newfound faith, and a newfound power. Do you know we have people in our church who are dealing with great trials and storms? And do you know... They, they, they want peace in this storm. They want to see God deliver them from the storm. But I can tell you this, God will deliver them through that storm. 
and God will equip them and God will use them to get to the other side where they're going to find people who need the master's touch. And because they've experienced it, they can say with conviction, he'll help you. I talked to one of our ladies last Sunday who's been through a great deal. And she told me how that God has worked in her life and given her a heart to help other people. And she's taken a course of education and is soon to complete it. And do you know what she wants to do? She wants to use it to help people the same way God has helped her. She went through a storm. But God is bringing her through the storm. And he's revealed his power. And he wants to use her. And he wants to do the same for you. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.